It's Tuesday, January 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The security failures last Wednesday when pro-Trump supporters sieged the Capitol building seemed to be even worse than initially thought. Former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund said that he tried six times to get backup from the National Guard, and each time his request was rejected or delayed. With some of the reasoning for no backup were the optics of declaring an emergency. Peter Herman, reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for more on the Capitol Police failure. Next, the social media platform Parler is down. After being removed from Google and Apple app stores for an insufficient content moderating plan, Amazon Web Services also cut them off. It could take more than a week for the platform to come back as conservatives and far-right extremists look for an alternative to Twitter. Ryan Mack, senior tech reporter at BuzzFeed News, joins us for the latest as Parler is now suing Amazon to get back online. Finally, because of the pandemic, grocery trends are looking different this year. Instead of seeing large product lines or product innovations, there will be a focus on supply chain issues and keeping shelves stocked instead. Kara Rosenblum, registered dietitian and president of Words to Eat By, joins us for what to look out for this year. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I am calling for the resignation of the Capitol, the chief of the Capitol Police, Mr. Sund, and I have received a notice from Mr. Irving that he is will be submitting his resignation. Joining us now is Peter Herman, reporter at The Washington Post covering D.C. police. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thank you for having me. wanted to talk about the huge security failure, obviously, last week at the Capitol building where pro-Trump supporters stormed the building and broke in. And we all know what happened now is uh, really just a mess. We're hearing now from former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sun. He did an interview kind of talking about what happened. And honestly, it seems like even more of a mess than we had already thought. Trouble getting approval to get the National Guard out there, just time, the bureaucracy, people didn't having the proper authority to approve them to go out there. I was reading through this and it just, I, I constantly kept shaking my head throughout this. So Peter, tell us about what happened. What did Stephen Sun say about the whole ordeal? My good colleague, Carol Lennick, got Stephen Sun yesterday and he says that he was trying on Monday and Tuesday and on Wednesday in six different times, made appeals to the board that oversees his agency, which is in the U.S. Capitol, and answers to the political leaders to declare an emergency declaration that would allow him to call in the National Guard members. And each time he says he was rebuffed. And the pushback was unseemly optics of having soldiers patrolling the grounds of the U.S. Capitol or in front of the U.S. Capitol, and they I, wanted I, more planning to be in. I think that was probably the worst thing that they could have said. We were worried about the optics that it would look bad. Well, it looks even worse when protesters actually stormed the Capitol. You know, it's just so hard to hear that. But what's even worse is that the Capitol Police requested help from the D.C. Police Department. D.C. Police Department is the one that answers to the mayor and, and is about 3,800 officers and is the regular patrol force for the District of Columbia. Capitol Police is about 1,800 officers, and they had 1,400 officers on the ground during the unrest. At 1 p.m., Sun, the Capitol Police Chief, requested help from the D.C. Police Department, which immediately sent hundreds of officers. But by that point, it was already too late. At 2.30 p.m., after the breach, while rioters were in the Capitol and had essentially taken over the Capitol, there was a phone call involving the D.C. Police Department 
stunned at the Capitol Police and other D.C. officials and the D.C. National Guard. And the D.C. National Guard patched in the Army Secretary. But D.C., since it is not a state, the National Guard does not answer to the mayor and there is no governor. So D.C. is the only entity where the National Guard is controlled by the Secretary of the Army and not by the local governor. So that's why we're in the bureaucracy of the Pentagon now. So even then... They were pushing back. The representatives from the Army Secretary's office were saying, we're not going to send the guard. We don't want to send the guard. And the D.C. police chief looked up during this meeting credulously and said, you mean to tell me you're not going to grant the request of the Capitol Police chief? Like, we couldn't believe it. And they kept saying, we want a plan. We want more plans. And the D.C. police chief answered, there's no time for a plan. They've taken the building. They've taken the Capitol. Yeah, even the, then, they finally got approval, and even then, it took another two hours to get National Guard on the ground. For Stephen Sun, you know, he's kind of watching a lot of this play in real time. He was watching the president's speech early in the morning. He got called away because these two pipe bombs that we had heard about, he had to turn his attention there. And he missed certain calls from the president to kind of go towards the Capitol. So his attention is being diverted in a million different ways. And really, it just didn't seem like anybody was on the ball. And the other thing is, Stephen Sun was certainly rebuffed many times Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but he also told us that he didn't really start getting concerned until Monday. D.C. police had been preparing for this for more than a week or two weeks, just based on social media posts, but also by watching hotel reservations go up, by watching Amtrak reservations go up. So they knew in a week before this that they're going to have a lot more people in the city than they had initially thought. So I think there's a lot of up here to try to figure out about, you know, why these delays were requesting slow walks for any particular reason. We were just at the beginning of trying to figure this all out. What's next? Because we're hearing chatter about something possibly going down on January 17th. Obviously, the inauguration is going to be on the 20th. How are they preparing to avoid this? We just posted the story that said there's going to be 15,000 National Guard troops in D.C. during inauguration activities. The National Park Service has canceled or closed the grounds, like around the Washington Monument and other memorials. I anticipate that there might be more closures. I think the mayor, she's asked for more emergency declarations, and she has asked the National Park Service to not grant any uh, permits for any assembly permits for around the inauguration. Peter Herman, reporter at the Washington Post covering D.C. police. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. There's no indication we had any serious problems from Apple, Google, Amazon. There was no serious threats, no anything. You know, we had cordial correspondence with all of them, including weekly calls with Amazon. And uh, then all of a sudden, there's this massive threat, and we're going to get rid of you tomorrow. And now today, there's no site remaining. Joining us now is Ryan Mack, senior tech reporter at BuzzFeed News. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for having me. The social media platform Parler is down. Amazon kicked them off their web hosting service. Google and Apple kicked them both off of their respective app stores. And uh, Parler has sued Amazon, hopefully to prevent them from shutting them down. But it's already done on that front, at least right now. Obviously, the Parler website is popular with conservatives and people on the far right who are trying to organize. And, you know, there's a lot of bad things going on around there. Uh, You know, Amazon presented them with a bunch of really bad things going on on their website as proof 
that their content moderation hasn't been working, isn't up to snuff. So, uh, Ryan, tell us a little bit more about it. What's going on with Parler and when can they hope to possibly get back up? So, yeah, as you explained, Parler is a social media app. I would think of it something like akin to a Facebook or a Twitter. Its kind of positioning is that it sees itself as a free expression, a free speech alternative to a place like a Twitter or Facebook where they argue that voices are being prevented from speaking their minds on those websites because of aggressive moderation policies. So um, it's become popular, like you said, with conservatives and people on the right for that. A lot of people that have been banned from Facebook or banned from Twitter are going to Parler. And in terms of when we can expect them back, it's hard to say. What happened with Amazon Web Services is that essentially they cut out the web hosting capacity. So now Parler has to go find a new entity to host them, migrating that data, all that infrastructure takes weeks to do in a lot of cases, even even in the best of circumstances. It's a really arduous process. So initially, Parler CEO John Moss said they would be down for a week. You can expect them possibly to be down for longer than that now. So it remains to be seen. One of the things that the Apple and Google stores did was to tell them, we're going to take you off of our app stores unless you come up with a better content moderation plan. It's very similar, I guess, with what Amazon did as well. And it just wasn't up to snuff for them. I guess for their part, Parler said they were going to use volunteer moderators that they called jurors to do all of this work. But they kept saying that all of this extreme speech, all of this stuff was just coming out at a rate that it didn't seem like these volunteers were going to be able to handle. What other parts of their plan did they have to help with their content moderation? I haven't seen the plan that Parler submitted to the tech giants, to the Apples, Googles, Amazons of the world in terms of a plan for what they were going to do with moderation. They have made it pretty clear that they were going to use volunteer moderators. But in the cases of these social networks, I think volunteer moderators, it's tough to catch everything, whether that's hate speech, incitements of violence, things like child sex abuse material. These things run the gamut on these platforms. And if you don't hire established content moderators, people paid to do this kind of thing and rely on volunteers, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that stuff's going to definitely fall through the cracks. Right. I mean, you can look to Facebook as an example who hires hundreds and thousands of people to do their content moderation. When things get flagged, they have to judge whether it's good or bad, all that, et cetera. We know those stories. And yeah, it's just become such a big operation. And, you know, free speech does get thrown into this conversation a lot. But, you know, these are all private companies that are hosting these things. And these big tech other companies, you know, Twitter, Facebook, they've gone through the ringer on a lot of this stuff, sitting before Congress describing their content moderation because they were so big. So for Parler not to have to adhere to some of that stuff, too, just doesn't really seem like it would go that way. Look, as someone who reports on Facebook, I mean, I, find, I regularly find things that violate their own terms of service, their own rules on things like incitement of hate speech and threats of violence. For example, we were monitoring a lot of these Stop the Steal groups that had uh, a lot of violence inciting comments and material ahead of the insurrection we saw last week at the Capitol. Given Facebook's scale, things are even with the amount that they've put into moderation, the commitment they've made to hiring, you still have a lot of examples of, of things slipping through the cracks. Now, Parler is saying, we're not even going to hire anyone. We're just going to have volunteers do this. I think it kind of boggles the mind a little bit, even though Parler is much smaller than Facebook. With regards to the free speech argument, I mean, like you said, these are private companies. They have reputations to uphold. Amazon 
probably doesn't want to be associated with an entity that uses services to incite violence or to spread kind of questionable material, whatever that is. So these are businesses making business decisions. I don't know if there is a better way of looking at it. Parlor, it seems like it might be offline through the inauguration, but we are hearing rumblings that people are trying to set up some other protests, things like that, January 17th, maybe the 19th, or even on the 20th itself. Do we know where some of these people might be organizing now that Parlor is gone? The thing about these is that there's always the next platform to step up. I mean, now you have a lot of communication moving into private chat, things like Telegram, for example, that aren't necessarily public-facing, but they're private groups. There's other apps that are even more tolerant of hate speech, if you can believe that, like Gab, for example, another private entity that's used to organize is something called MeWe. So there is always something out there that will offer an alternative here. Ryan Mack, senior tech reporter at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Some of the grocery stores have said they're now going to institute a reservation model where similar to a restaurant, you book in advance and you have a time slot and that will help them limit the number of shoppers that'll be in the store at any one time. Joining us now is Kara Rosenblum, registered dietitian and president of Words to Eat By. Thanks for joining us, Kara. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Usually at this time, we're talking about new food trends for the year, what to expect upcoming Obviously, because of the pandemic, kind of everything's been thrown upside down. A lot of companies, instead of focusing on new innovation of products, we're looking more at product efficiency, focusing on the supply chain issues that arose throughout the pandemic, making sure that shelves are actually stocked rather than, you know, a bunch of new products coming on board. So, Kara, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing for 2021. Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, as a dietitian for the last 20 years, I love December, January time because I'm always looking at trends to see what new products are out there. And as I started writing for my 2021 trends report, there were so few new products because companies are distracted needfully on efficiency. There are so many little gaps and little hiccups in the supply chain everywhere along from the actual manufacturing, even getting parts to do manufacturing, to getting things to the grocery store and then sales in grocery store. The coronavirus has put everything into a tailspin. So we're really seeing something different this year for the first time ever. And that's that the idea of getting products on the shelf period is more important than new products. And I've never seen that before in my history. And one of the big things that we've seen throughout the pandemic really is companies cutting back on the number of products they are offering. We saw that with meat processing plants. There weren't as many cuts available. I think in your article, you mentioned a soup company dropping their varieties down from 80 down to 40, which is a ton, you know, so these are some of the things we're seeing. There is this sort of overall idea that If you're going to get products to store shelves, you've got to get the most important products and the ones that sell the best. So rather than having a variety of 80 soups, can we pick the top 40 that are the best sellers? Or rather than having, you know, 300 varieties of chips and crackers and all these things on store shelves, there's an efficiency by saying, you know what, let's look at the products that sell the best. And let's focus on those and make sure we can get those to shelf instead of ensuring that there's hundreds of SKUs available. We just want to make sure we can get something on store shelves rather than hundreds of other things. 
So experts think that the supermarkets themselves will look differently. The layouts will be differently. I think one person you spoke to said that a lot of them might implement a reservation model where the front and the back of the store look differently. How does that work? So I spoke with Phil Lempert, who is a food industry analyst. He works with many different grocery stores and big food companies, and he was telling me what he's hearing from them. One of the things that grocery stores have found is that consumers have a lot of anxiety, of course, of going into a grocery store. Some people aren't wearing masks properly. Some people aren't wearing masks at all. And so there's a bit of a fear and an anxiety when they're shopping about their safety. So they want to either get in and out as quickly as possible, or they want to do online delivery or online or Instacart or one of those sorts of curbside options. So what he has found is some of the grocery stores have said they're now going to institute a reservation model where similar to a restaurant, you book in advance and you have a time slot and that will help them limit the number of shoppers that'll be in the store at any one time. He also is noting that some companies are going to start to change the layout of their store so that people can still shop for fresh foods like fruits and vegetables and their cuts of meat. They can still browse and pick what they want, but that packaged items, so you know, anything from toilet paper to breakfast the cereal to canned goods will be in the back of the store and that'll be picked and packed for you while you shop, which would cut down on the amount of time people have to spend in the grocery store and make it more efficient. And he also mentioned those might not be picked and packed by humans. That might be robotic in the future. Yeah. I mean, he said that it could cut the average grocery shop time of 22 minutes down to about 10 minutes, which is beneficial on all parties, it looks like. The other thing that we've seen this trend going on for a long time is more plant-based items on the shelves. This is just kind of accelerating it. And an interesting thing that I didn't know, I haven't seen just yet, there's blends of these things too. Let's say on milk, you can get a 50-50 cow's milk and almond milk blend. The extension of the plant-based stuff is continuing. Exactly. And I find that there are many companies who are experts in animal-based products, companies who are, you know, dairy or milk-based, and they're seeing a huge drop in their sales because so many people are looking for plant-based alternatives. And they're probably saying to themselves, if we don't start doing something plant-based, we're going to lose out. And I think that's where a lot of these blends are coming from. It's to continue to move their products when they're finding such a decrease in their sales and an increase in the sales of plant-based. But plant-based is met with a lot of controversy as well because a lot of the products that are coming out use the word plant-based to almost give it a health halo to make it seem very healthy that it comes from plant when what's actually being made is a highly processed or ultra-processed food made of protein isolates and powders and they're kind of moving away from being actual plants at this point. So, you know, a chickpea is a plant, broccoli is a plant, but isolated pea protein burgers, that's no longer really a plant. And the last thing that we're seeing is functional foods and beverages, one that you should be careful for, too. You know, make sure to check out the full list. These are things that are enhanced with CBD is really popular, but it could be a range of things. There are different companies that are adding vitamins or minerals or other kind of supplements to their foods. And for certain people, if you're taking supplements like actual pills or liquids, you're actually taking supplements, you may be getting too much of certain vitamins and minerals. So it's just sort of a reminder that too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Kara Rosenblum, registered dietitian and president of Words to Eat By. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.